All right, welcome to another edition of Off Topic, courtesy of BackSportsPage.com. My name is Randy Zellia, welcoming in an old friend of mine and uh, a man who always seems like he has about 8 million things going on, Nutley's own IWF Wrestling Zone, Kevin Knight. Kevin, it's it's been a long time, my friend. It's really good to see you. How you been? I've been doing well, Randy. It's great to see you, and uh, it has been a long time, but glad we could catch up on uh, on today's edition, so looking forward to it. Now, last last time I saw you, I actually was at the Loud and Proud show. I think it was about two years ago. You and I have been in contact since then a little bit. But uh, talk to me about what's been going on with you. I, at one point, I know you closed the school down. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, when I saw you on Facebook the other day or a couple weeks ago, you said that school might be coming back. Fill me in a little bit. What's going on? Yes. Well, uh, for the first 12 or 13 years, IWF Wrestling School was in West Patterson, New Jersey. We opened up there in December 1999, and we went through the end of the year 2011. At the time, I thought uh, I had had enough, and and that was it. So uh, we were still doing live events. We just weren't doing the wrestling training. And then in – so we were not doing the training for two years. And then at the beginning of 2014, we opened uh, the school again in Nutley, New Jersey. And we were there for about three and a half years. And just times have changed as far as people that that were looking to get into wrestling at the time, where wrestling is not as popular as it used to be. So therefore, we were not getting the applicants and candidates that necessarily fit the mold of someone that would make a great professional wrestler. Most of the people that would would make for a great professional wrestler were looking to get into something else, whether it be MMA or kickboxing, taekwondo, whatever the case is, you know, guys and girls that looked the part and were very tough were looking to go into other combat sports, I guess you could say. So it was just uh, time to put an end to the training. But training in Nutley ended exactly three years ago, July 1st, 2017. We've still been doing live events in the the interim, charity events throughout North Jersey. And on the IWF website, the wrestling school page was always still up as was the application form for people to apply to the wrestling school. So in the three years that the school has been closed, we have received to date, I I have it uh, right here. So in the three years the wrestling school has been closed, we've received 388 applications to a wrestling uh, training program that was no longer in operation. So that's why we decided to bring back the wrestling training on a limited basis for highly qualified <laughs> applicants meaning you know your 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 previous athletic and 
and uh, fitness experience requires more than sitting on the couch and playing video games. You need to be uh, uh, more active than just skateboarding. So <laughs> we, we've selected a few athletes that really fit the mold and, and people that, that we think would make great professional wrestlers. So we're going to be doing the training, limited basis, you know, basically private training. It's not a a school that's open to pretty much anyone, you know, it's a uh, application process they have to go through. They have to go through an interview process, have to make sure they're physically fit and can handle this and make sure they're cut out to be pro wrestlers. You uh, had a, a great success of finding some good guys and you had a great working, working relationship with WWE. Can you talk about the, the breeding, the breeding process to get to that level uh, not just the WWE, but you had guys go to WCW. You had guys work with TNA. Talk about the process of of building for teaching, building, and helping promote not only wrestlers but events as well. Sure. So things were a lot different 21 years ago when the wrestling school first opened, where there were less distractions in the world and people had patience where back then people were willing to come to wrestling training four days a week and put in the time in the weight room to be in top physical condition. So coupled with some great looking prospects, hardworking guys, coupled with the fact that we brought in from the beginning of IWF Wrestling School, numerous WWE Hall of Famers and legends to do seminars and classes for our guys. Our guys that came from IWF had a reputation of being very well-trained, very well-mannered, in shape, in the ring, in shape uh, from the hard work they put in in the weight room. And the reputa reputation just kind of uh, uh, took on a life of its own. And through Dr. Tom Pritchard, who has his own training school right now in Knoxville, Tennessee. We all love Dr. Tom. Yeah. Yes, we do. <laughs> Uh, he was uh, head coach of WWE's developmental training program for a number of years. So while he was working with the WWE, he would host camps and seminars for our guys. And that's how our guys got booked to be extras at the TV tapings, extras at pay-per-views. That's how Darren Young, who wrestled for us as bone crusher Fred Sampson, uh, then he was uh, signed by the WWE, I think in 2009. He was there for about nine years. Uh, now he's uh, doing his thing, motivational speaking. Uh, I think he has a number of businesses going on. Uh, Fred Rosser is his real name. He's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that fun stuff. So once Fred got noticed, it opened the door for over 50 of our guys to, to be hired as extras, pay-per-views, TV tapings, being TV commercials. Uh, some of those 52 got official tryouts, and I think we've had 14 signed, uh, offered full-time employment. And that's not only with WWE, but also um, Impact, ROH, whatever else is out there. I can't, can't even remember them all. Um, so, so that's how the reputation of the school grew, and, and that's how we made connections to get our guys get their foot in the door, and then they did the rest. They, they barged the door down and made a name for themselves, and they're out there in the world of wrestling. And I also think the help, AEW being um, 
created and having live TV platform is, I think, is also helping bring the wrestling business back. Because Impact had a, a a platform with Spike for a while, but I feel like the 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 wrestling popularity is starting to come back up now. It, it fell after the Attitude Era a little bit. It fell down. It was a little. I, I, what's your take being inside the business? I, I'm I'm an outs- I'm a spectator, so you know. Yeah, I don't watch much current. I actually don't watch any current wrestling. And the last time I actually had current wrestling on the TV has to be over, has to be over ten years now. What what they do on TV wrestling, whether it's Raw, SmackDown, or NXT in the WWE, and what they do in AEW from the clips I've seen on social media, it's not professional wrestling. What it is. I have no idea what it is that they do uh, to to address your um, point about wrestling being popular again with AEW. I would say that wrestling is popular amongst the hardcore wrestling fans, okay. but there are no mainstream casual fans like me watching anymore where I do follow the business end. And when AEW debuted on TNT in October, they had 1.4 million viewers, and last week they had like 650,000. So significant, yeah, significant. Uh, yeah, yeah, they lost more than half their audience in seven months. So they're not popular. They just have a dedicated hardcore fan base tuning in every week. Kind of the same as the WWE. They have a larger hardcore fan base, but that's all that's tuning in. So there are millions of people like me that enjoy professional wrestling and not so much the sports entertainment that the WWE does or the backyard wrestling that AEW puts on TV. From the clips that I've seen, again, that's just my opinion. And over the years, I could see that trend coming, and those were the applicants we were getting to the wrestling school. Um, Size, it does not matter in professional wrestling as much anymore, but as evidenced by the fact of some of the people that AEW are putting on TV, and evidenced by the fact that some of the people that WWE and NXT are putting on TV, it's unfortunate to say, but nobody wants to see somebody that's five foot seven, 125 pounds in a wrestling ring. What, Randy, why, why do we watch the NFL every Sunday? Why is it the number one sport? Because why, why do more people watch NFL football rather than high school football? Oh, because the, the, it's polished and it's the importance of the. Lack, it's not as for me anyway, it's not as available to you as the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball. As far why as is that? what, why is high school football not on Monday nights, nine o'clock, Sunday nights, eight thirty, Sunday afternoons at one, and Sunday afternoons at four thirty? What's oh, the difference? What's the difference between the athletes? Oh, it, it's, it's such a physicality. The physicality, it's, it's what it's what in the NFL, it is. The biggest mm-hmm. and the best athletes yep. in the world. So more people want to watch top flight athletes that are monsters. People want to see guys that are six foot six and 340 pounds on the offensive and defensive line. Yep. People don't want to tune in to watch football where it's guys or kids that are five foot seven. 125 pounds. That's what high school football is compared to the NFL. Why do more people watch the NBA than, than high school basketball? Because it's the biggest and the best athletes. 
LeBron James is not somebody that you see in your everyday life. Oh, definitely not. Down the street, walking into the mall. People want to see. People are uh, attracted to things that are different. So with pro wrestling, uh, again, whatever it is WWE does, whether it's sports, they call it sports entertainment, whatever it does that AEW does, nobody wants to see average. People want to see larger than life, and neither really has larger than life. That was the candidates we were getting to the wrestling school is – just average, everyday, ordinary guys. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, we've picked out some applicants over the past couple of weeks, you know, of guys that are legit stud athletes, powerlifters, bodybuilders, former semi-pro football players, outstanding collegiate wrestlers, outstanding collegiate football players, uh, guys that have been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu for 10 years, 15 years, and that's what people want to see. They don't want to see average. They want to see top flight athletes in competition. They don't want to see people that look like children doing gymnastics. And that's what current wrestling is on TV is people that look like children doing gymnastics and tumbling. One of the things that I, uh, that I love about you and one of the things that you've been doing for years has been the IWF event, uh, in Nutley, New Jersey, the, um, you know, the, the IWF loud and proud to help raise money uh, for charity. Can you talk about where the idea for the event came from? Um, How did you get it started? And how do you pretty much, when you weren't doing the school but still holding the event, were you calling former students? How were you doing it? Yeah, the idea for the big charity event we do every spring started with the first IWF event that we ever did back in March. 1998 was the first live event we did, and that took place at the Nutley Recreation Center in Nutley, New Jersey. And that event benefited a local charity. I can't remember off the top of my head which charity it was because that was 22 and a half years ago. So we celebrated our our anniversary and still do. We celebrate our anniversary every spring. So every spring we do our big live event, I guess you could call it our WrestleMania, and we donate the proceeds from ticket sales for our spring anniversary event to a different charity. So over the past eight years now, our spring event, Loud and Proud, the proceeds go to American Cancer Society's Relay for Life, and that is a charity that is supported by the Nutley Parks and Recreation Department. So we've been happy to jump on board and help support their fundraising efforts. And each spring we raise approximately $4,000 for American Cancer Society. Now our big spring anniversary event this past April is still postponed. Uh, We were thinking of doing it in August, but now it looks like uh, it'll be in the fall. So hopefully in October. Okay. Yeah. As you see, I put, we put up on the scroll about summer 2020. Um, And, and, you know, it's funny too. I came to the event a couple of years ago I have friends who know you and love you because uh, the event Nolly uh, from the wrestling industry, but also from Nutley because I have ties to the town as well. My brother yes. used to be a, my, bro- my brother used to be a teacher there, and um, you know what school funny. did he teach at? He was over at Nutley High School. He was the music director, so he was there for a very long time. And um, talk about long time. You got you have had some of the, some great 
speakers come to the school. Some great wrestlers have come in. Guys like Bushwhacker Luke and Tito Santana and Jim Powers have come in. Uh, we've, we, met, we saw Tito a couple weeks ago. He's still as active as ever. Uh, cameo and doing and not like that, but he says he feel, still feels like he's 20. He can go into the ring. Uh, how do you distinguish what kind of guests do you want to bring in to speak to the class? Wow, that's a good question. Um, sometimes it's not not just in in wrestling, but as you know from from covering football and covering basketball, sometimes it's not always the best player that makes the best coach. Where if you look at Bill Parcells, well, uh, is he in the Hall of Fame? Bill yes, Bill Parcells is, is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay, he is in the Hall of Fame. One of the most legendary football coaches of all time. Look at Bill Belichick. Mm -hmm. One of the most legendary football coaches of all times. He has what six rings? Yes. Belichick. Parcells has two. What was their highest level of football that they played? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> did 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 Bill play in college? I don't even know if they if either of them played in college. Well, well you be you being a Nets fan though, you know, you and I were both New Jersey Nets yes, fans. Lawrence sure. Lawrence Frank was not known as the best Correct. player in there, but and he, he went 13 and 0, right? His first yeah. 13 games when he took over the Nets. And and the most uh, winning coach in the franchise history. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Why they let him go. Well, that was kind of what ended my Nets fandom after all those years. <laughs> that when they moved out of New Jersey. Yeah, but to, too. to get back to, to get back to your question, sometimes it's not always the most popular or the most successful athlete that makes the best coach in that sport. So if you brought in somebody like Hulk Hogan to teach a class on professional wrestling, that probably would not be a wise choice. So it's <laughs> somebody that can translate in, in uh, verbal methods and, and teaching methods and, and, and structuring and breaking down how, how somebody can comprehend this, this information as far as what it takes to be a professional wrestler inside and outside of the ring. So that's why we looked to guys that are very well-spoken, personable, great communicators, great teachers. Uh, where Tito Santana, who has done classes and seminars for us almost every year for about the past 17 years, is actually a teacher. He's a teacher in middle school in, I think it's in Roxbury, and he's a great communicator. And he has a way to translate what he did in the ring and pass it along to the students. Same as Honky Tonk Man, who's a great teacher of professional wrestling. As you mentioned, Jim Powers from New Jersey, who was never really a main eventer, but he worked for the WWE for 11 years, which is a long time. He worked in WCW for three years, which is a long time. So somebody that could make a living and be on TV in the WWF and WCW for 14 years, that's somebody's brain that you want to pick and try to get knowledge from them as far as what it took to stand the test of time and be relevant in wrestling and have a job and other people like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, John Bradshaw Layfield, Les Thatcher. We've had 
world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, do classes. And these are the guys that helped shape our training curriculum that I pass along to the guys. I didn't open the wrestling school to teach. I opened the wrestling school to learn. So by having these guys do classes and seminars for us, taught me how to be a better wrestler and then taught me how to be a better teacher and pass that knowledge along to our guys and girls. One of the things that, I, that you and I have always uh, also bonded on was we were just talking about joking around about it was the nets. And um, it's funny. You look around through your Facebook page every once in a while, especially since the, uh, the, the IZOD center or continental arena or Brandon oh. burn arena sort of closed its doors. You still found a way to get yourself over there, which I've always wondered about, but what are some of your fondest nets memories? I got to have to ask you this. I remember probably my, my earliest Nets memory. I barely remember it because I was really young. Was when they defeated the Philadelphia 76ers, who were the reigning NBA champions at the time. I think did they sweep the Sixers or beat them? I know it was best three out of five first round. Maybe they won three games to one, but they eliminated the Sixers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. I think it was 1984. Yep. Because the around there, because I think the Sixers won it in, in 83. So I was at one of the home playoff games. I have the program. That's probably the only thing I remember about it. But I, I do kind of remember being in the arena when they um, uh, were in that playoff series. That's my earliest Nets memory. I remember going to the first preseason game right after September 11th happened. So this preseason game must be October 2001. It was the first preseason game, the first game when Jason Kidd played. <laughs> and it was right after the trade when they got him. It was right after 9-11. And I went to this Nets preseason game. And, Randy, there had to be 1,500 people in the arena to watch this preseason game. A, it was uh, right after 9-11. Uh, B, the Nets stunk for years. They just got Jason Kidd. And just in watching the Nets play and Jason Kidd on the court, you just kind of knew this might be a special year. And then going to those games, all that, you know, the 2001-2002 season when they made it to the NBA Finals, and then the following year, the 2002-2003 season when they made it to the Finals again. Uh, they lost both times in the Finals, but how often do you get to see, you know, your home basketball team, unless you're in Cleveland or uh, Los Angeles <laughs> following the Lakers, or uh, Miami Heat, your your NBA team doesn't usually go to the finals two years in a row. So that that's probably the main memory of the Nets and of uh, the Meadowlands Arena. I, I will tell you, you'll, you'll appreciate this. My first memory ha involved uh, a guy who was wearing number three for the Nets, with Draws and Petrovich. Yeah. Petro for three, Spencer Ross on the call on Sports uh, sports Channel. And I actually tracked down Spencer Ross finally because we um, – we got approved to do a unauthorized history of the Nets, so we're right. Really? We're, yeah. We're, so we're doing what? Like, if I told you some of the names that we, I, well, I'm talking with Rex Walters tomorrow. Sure. We're talking, we're talking with. Um, we've, we've tracked down Ed O'Bannon. We're talking to. Oh. Uh, we we got we have Kid in a couple weeks. We have Kenyon Martin. We have Jason. We have the uh, you know Jason Jason Collins. We have a whole bunch of guys that we're talking to. Uh, we just got done with Kendall Gill. We we also just tracked wow. down. Yeah. We just tracked down Keith Van Horn as well, so we're busy. Oh, yeah. right? <laughs> so we're that's amazing, yeah. So the, the, the Nets had a very underrated history in New Jersey, obviously overshadowed by the Knicks, but 
now since they've moved to Brooklyn, they're pretty. Uh, they're, they're more obscure in Brooklyn than they were playing in New Jersey. Well, yeah. Well, here's the funny thing too. And again, you are a New Jersey guy, and you know that arena, and you understand business, and you know the market. I always felt yes, the, the Nets were playing in the shadow of the Knicks in in an area where New York City was 25 minutes away. Yeah. To me, in my mind, though, the Nets ownership, even though in a rotated the ownership rotated in and out. I felt that they had a very hard time understanding that people were not going to pay New York Knicks prices at that point in time for Nets tickets when Jason Kidd got there. Because when the kid got there, they wiped away comp tickets, and that's why the arena looked empty. $45 tickets in the second half of the upper level when people who who you're trying to reach the demographic to in the New Jersey area are only making at that time sixty dollars to $70,000 a year, can't afford to take – you know, the guy can't take his wife and two kids to 41 home games at $45 a pop because they just can't afford it. It's not reasonable. So I always felt that they needed to cater to families in the, in this area because that's where they would have done it. Plus, it was a 20,000-seat arena. So even when they had fourteen to 16,000 people in that arena, it was still going to look empty. If they uh, were looking to play in a new arena – and get a better lease, they should have just stayed at Prudential Center in Newark where they played in the interim for the two years, two yeah. years or just uh, play in the Prudential Center until they renovated the Meadowlands Arena and the Nets could have had an arena all to themselves for uh, for their games and college games there. But as we know, that did not happen. And I, well, I, I, I don't think I've watched – a Nets game since they left New Jersey. So that's what, 2012? Yeah, they left. They yeah. left there. I think maybe I watched the home opener for Brooklyn when Jason Kidd was the coach, right? He coached what? Their, mm-hmm. their first five games. Did he even make it a year? No, he, he made it a year. He was one season. Lawrence Frank was his assistant, and Lawrence didn't make it through the year. That was it. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so. Well, I think the problem too is I, from what and from what I was understanding, you might know a little bit more. I followed the story for a little while. I reached out to a couple of people, and they said everyone was going to get back to me, and they never did. But the Izod Center was closed. They said it was supposed to be closed for about three years. Obviously, yeah. that didn't that didn't happen. And now they're they're sort of arguing. You know, Christie shut it down to make himself look like a hero to try and save money, and. Now they're trying, from what I understand, they're trying to reopen it. They're trying to figure out what to do with it. Then they want to tear it down. They want to keep it up. I would love for it to be open. I think it's a great venue for wrestling. I think it's a great venue for entertainment and concerts. I think it's it just needs upgrades. Just like any good building, it just needs a little tender love and care, and it's a good place. Well, I guess since it's closed, they've been using it as a rehearsal arena for touring artists, rock, metal, country artists to do their full-scale rehearsals, full-stage setup, full lighting setup, full pyro setup as a rehearsal before groups go out on tour. I know that uh, who's the lead the singer from the Grateful Dead? Is it Roger Waters? Uh, Roger Waters was Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. Maybe it was Pink Floyd. That's what I meant. Yeah, uh, there's YouTube videos of him of his rehearsals from the Meadowlands Arena from a couple of years ago before he went out on tour. I know Def Leppard was there for a week a couple of years ago. They use it as a rehearsal arena because they get a good deal on, on the price since it's not being used before they go out on tour. And now I believe over the past year 
it's been used as a movie studio. So they build movie sets on the arena floor and they film movies there because it's cheaper to film in New Jersey than it is in uh, California or New York. So that's what they've been doing with it lately. Yeah, it's a shame too because they really are trying to fix up the area over there. And I think the biggest crime was not putting stuff around it for people to do. Because same thing with going to the Meadowland, uh, you know, the, the stadium for the Giants and the Jets games. You, you go there, you can tailgate, but there's really nothing around the area. Nothing. And now... And that's that. Like you had to go all in the Route 17 over there to um, have rest, uh, have have food before the games. Uh, talk to me. I I remember finding a commercial, and uh, I'm sorry for not being able to download it so I can show everybody. But it was, I believe, it was a Survivor Series commercial, and you were in it. You were yes. anxious. Can you talk about that process? I've always wanted to ask you about it. I never got to. So this is my opportunity to ask you about it. How'd that whole sure. thing come about? This was in 2003. The fall of 2003, the WWE, what they used to do back in the day when pay-per-views were of major importance and they did them once a month, each pay-per-view would have a little different theme. And so since the Survivor Series is in November around football season, they wanted the theme for their commercial to promote that year's Survivor Series in 2003 to feature football. So in the commercial, they did a little skit where the WWE superstars like Big Show and John Cena and Ron Simmons and JBL, Rey Mysterio, Hurricane Helms, Kurt Angle, took on a local football team. So <laughs> the guys in the local football team were comprised of wrestlers from the IWF. So that included, his, he was uh, Fred Sampson at the time, obviously now Darren Young. It included fifth element Roman Zachary. We had Sean Donovan, former IWF champion. Brandon Young, who's a former IWF tag team and American champion, and myself, because they needed five of us to go in and play the WWE superstars in a football game. And this was at the time when whenever the WWE had an event in the area or TV taping, whether it was at the Meadowlands, Nassau Coliseum, Madison Square Garden, Providence, Rhode Island, Boston, Philly, Washington, D.C., they would call the premier local wrestling schools to have the best guys go over and serve as extras to be in a match or be a policeman or security guard or druid for the undertaker or just on standby. And then a lot of times they would film commercials in the area. We've had some guys go up and be part of commercial shoots that took place at their headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut and the Survivor Series 2003 commercials being filmed in Mount Vernon, New York, which isn't too far from Northern New Jersey. And they gave us a call and said, you know, bring five guys from the IWF to, to be in this commercial. And I can't remember the field, but it was right off I-95. Once you go over the George Washington Bridge, you pass through Yonkers and pass through Mount Vernon, the football field was there. so. It was myself and four top guys in the IWF at the time, and that's how it happened. So whenever the WWE had something going on in the area and they needed some extra live, warm bodies, they would they would give us a call. So there we were on the football field getting beaten up by 
Kurt Angle. I think Roman Zachary was the one in the bleachers that Kurt Angle had the ankle lock on. I think Darren Young got clotheslined or shoulder tackled by Ron Simmons. Darren Young got <laughs> clotheslined from hell by JBL. Hurricane Helms executed his finishing maneuver on me, and Sean Donovan was the assistant coach who got hit in the face with a steel chair at the end of the commercial. So it's on YouTube. Just just um, search for IWF wrestlers in 2003 WWE Survivor Series commercial, and, and it'll come up. So that's a case, Randy, of you never know when the phone's going to ring. I think they called us up. It had to be less than a week's notice could you have you know you we need you and four guys on next tuesday you need to be there at 7 a.m because it's a tv shoot so it's a 12-hour day so be there at 7 a.m really means be there at 6 a.m because you don't want to be late so there we were for a 12 or 13 hour day of filming oh, that's 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 amazing Kevin, let's plug. Let's do some plugs here before we take off. Let, let everybody know where they can find you on social media and, then, of course, on the World Wide Web. Sure. For IWF, you could find us at Wrestling IWF on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And I am at Kevin Knight NJ also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the website is CampIWF.com. And hopefully soon we'll have updates as to when we can resume our live events. We have uh, our event for American Cancer Society on hold from April. We were hoping to do it in August, but now October looks more practical. And the event we were supposed to do in October at the Wayne PAL for the Semper Fi Fund, I guess that'll be pushed back till the spring. Um, once we have information, it'll, it'll be posted everywhere. Uh, listen, thank you so much for doing everything you do as far as giving back and uh, find a way to incorporate your passions into it. Uh, this was awesome catching up with you. I th hopefully we could do it a little bit more often than every few years. And Absolutely, Randy. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on uh, anytime. Be more than happy to come back. And I'm glad we got some old school New Jersey Nets talk into today's discussion. And I will put and you I'll on. I'm going to put you on the complice for the book once it's out, ready to go. Oh, I can't wait. I'm ready. <laughs> Thanks, bud. All right, the thank great Kevin. The great Kevin Knight joining us here on Off Topic. We'll be back later on today. Emery Hunt from uh, ProFootballGamePlan.com joining us, breaking down the NFL offseason. Kevin, thanks again for joining us. Looking forward to sp uh, speaking with you soon. You got it, Randy. Thank you. Thank you.